Well, it's been said that the only person who welcomes change is a baby with a dirty nappy. The last 14 months have seen enormous changes in our society. Patterns of work and education have been changed dramatically. The use of transport has altered radically. I can't remember the last time I got on a bus or a tram or a train, even though I now have qualified for a free bus pass. Our attitudes to the environment have been heightened as we've gone for more walks, flown less, if at all, and seen the world around us in a completely new way at times. Attitudes to charity and technology, things like shopping, have changed over the last 14 months. Most of us have shopped locally more, and yet at the same time there have been more home deliveries at the same time. Now, whether some of these changes last is yet to be seen. But the world, post-pandemic, will be different to how it was before, to a greater or lesser extent. Change itself is stressful, and therefore there has been an increase in stress, anxiety, depression, and people struggling with their mental health generally. There's been an impact on our relationships, with increased loneliness and isolation for some people, while for others they spend a lot of time, perhaps too much time, with their family. Many people have confessed to drinking alcohol more. There's a reason that off-licenses have been deemed to be essential shops in the UK. And with the news this week of the verdict in the trial of the person accused of killing George Floyd, there have been increased tensions in the whole area of race. A global pandemic, a worldwide recession, and one of the biggest explosions in social tension, it's no wonder that some of us have struggled to cope. Well, the people being addressed by Haggai in the book that we're going through at the moment had also seen enormous change. Taken into captivity and exile over 50 years before to Babylon, Haggai's message comes over four months in the year 520 BC. 16 years have passed since Zerubbabel had led the first party of Jews back to Jerusalem. But the return had been very hard on them. They'd experienced agricultural and economic challenges, opposition from neighbouring tribes like the Samaritans, and at the same time there'd been internal divisions as well. Now many of them had previously settled well in Babylon. Encouraged by the prophet Jeremiah, they take into heart his words in chapter 29 verses 5 to 7, and many had indeed sought the peace and prosperity of the city. And to be honest, they'd come to enjoy it. Many of the Jews living in Babylon were comfortable, settled, and happy. And now they had to reinvent themselves and their lifestyle in Jerusalem. Just like some of us who've quite enjoyed lockdown, not commuting to work, being able to watch church in our pyjamas, drinking a cup of coffee, and that's just the clergy. The people that Haggai was talking to had had to go through lots of readjustments and change. And faced with their apathy and reluctance to build the temple, Haggai challenges them. And we pick up the story in verse 7, where Haggai says to them, Give careful thought to your ways. It's the second time that he's challenged them to do this. He'd already done it in verse 5. And this phrase, give careful thought to your ways, is one of Haggai's characteristic expressions. It's perhaps better translated by a Hebrew idiom. Literally, put your heart on your roads. It's the equivalent of the expression, 
think on, which is common particularly in the north of England. In fact, Haggai strikes me as a common sense, plain speaking northerner. In four short months from late August to mid-December, his message to the people is very simple. Haggai is basically saying, wake up and smell the coffee. Look around you, see what's really going on and think how you are living and acting. Haggai is encouraging them to reflect deeply on who they are and who God wants them to be and how they're doing. Just like many of us have done through the same thing over the last 14 months, as the rhythm and the pace of our lives has changed, we've asked the deeper questions. Who are we? Are we doing what God has asked us to do? And how are we progressing? So having asked them to think on, he then says, but get on with it. In verse 8, he says, go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, God says. The period of reflection has to come to an end. There is a time for thinking and reflection, but it has to lead to action. Otherwise, it's endless navel-gazing that becomes an excuse for action. Haggai tells them they have to do something. There are three imperatives. Go, bring, and build. Go up to the mountains, bring the timber down, and build my house, God says. True repentance, that Greek word from the New Testament, metanoia, speaks about a changed mind and heart showing itself in changed lives. It's not simply enough to say that we're sorry or that we're sad or that we want to do things differently or better. It needs to be evidenced. The whole point of Haggai can be summed up in that one phrase, God says, build my house. Not because of the project itself, but because of what it symbolised. To rebuild the temple meant that the people believed in God and his covenants from the past. It meant that they believed and wanted to meet with God in the present, and it meant that they believed in the future that God had promised them. And the result was that God, verse 8, would be pleased and honoured. And thirdly and finally in this section, he says, verses 9 to 11, if you don't obey me, then God says, the heavens and earth do. God reminds them through Haggai of how things really are. There have been a succession of poor crops. The wheat, the wine, the olives, the cattle, all have been affected. There isn't even any dew in the morning. And this was vital during the late summer in Palestine. The only moisture that the ground might get might be from the early morning dew. And now they're not even getting that. The people are surrounded by drought in the fields and in the mountains. And what Haggai is telling them is that there is a link between the state of the temple and the state of the land. That their apathy, disobedience and indifference have consequences. And that what's at stake is whether people believe in a God who is not only the maker of heaven and earth, but also a God who is involved in every single area of every single person's life. The agricultural and economic disaster that was unfolding around them was because of their failure to put God first and to honour him. In essence, what was at stake 
was whether they believed God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how does that relate to us? Well, firstly, are we reflecting on the lessons that we've been given the chance to learn during the pandemic? In the first three or four months, there was lots of talk about doing things differently. Are we in danger of simply slipping back into old habits? Or are we prepared to take a step back and to reflect again as to who we are? The things that we've learnt, the importance of relationships or community, the need to care for creation, as with less flights and less traffic on the roads, the environment and creation itself was seen in a different light. Perhaps the opportunity to value people or different jobs differently, to take perhaps not so much for granted. Over the past two weeks in our prayer gatherings, we've sensed what God has been calling us to repent of individually and collectively. For society, there have been some common themes. We've asked God to forgive us for our materialism, our selfishness, for our injustice, our pride, our sense of entitlement, our lack of care for creation, and if we're honest, at times, our greed. For the wider church, we've repented of racism, nominalism, and apathy. And as P's and G's, we've asked questions about ourselves. Are we too self-reliant? Are we too comfortable? As individuals, what is the place that we give God in our thinking and in our living? And are we then prepared, just like the people that Haggai was speaking to, to do something? To change how we live as individuals or together as a church? Maybe you know that God is asking you. Indeed, maybe you know that God is telling you to do something. You've thought about it, you've prayed about it, you've reflected on it, you've asked other people's opinion, but now that you know what God is calling you to do, you simply need to get on and do it. The time for thinking and praying is drawing to an end. Now is the time for action. It might be in your job, it might be in a relationship, it might be in your family, it might be in a friendship. It might be a particular habit that you need to break or a way of thinking that needs changing. God is calling you to show that you believe in him by the fact that you are going to do something, not simply to reflect on it, not simply to pray about it, but to do the thing that you know he has asked you to do. The people heard Haggai and did something. They went up the mountain. They brought back the timber and they started the task of rebuilding the temple. You have heard God. Do what he is telling you to do.